You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. We have our Bibles ready? All right, sword drills. Remember sword drills? No sticking your finger in there and trying to already have a spot. No, come on, come on now, sword drills. You didn't cheat on sword drills? You didn't cheat while reading the Bible? Yeah, I mean, I know I did. Yeah, well, if you're watching at home as well, you also get your Bible out and don't stick your finger in there prematurely. Here we go. We are on the fourth verse on the sheet here, which is Psalm 67. This is a reminder and hearkening back to God's promise to Moses from Numbers 6. So if you were handed a sheet, we got it ready right over here. Psalm 67. Please tell us your name for everyone to know and then read it. Read just the bold part. My name is Kim Covert in Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. So this is a psalm that would often be sung with clapping and shouting and being sung to the Lord as a reminder of God's blessings. How many of you know you have to be reminded that God has blessed you in the past? Right? We'd like to think that we're always going to remember, but we don't. And this this actually brings me back. I don't know why. I wish I was a better person, but I'm not. But the Simpsons, there is this scene in one of the Simpsons where Krusty the Clown, who's just an absolutely horrible character, and Bart Simpson, who's not much better himself, but Krusty the Clown is Bart Simpson's idol, right? It's who he loves. And he goes to him once, gets to meet him, uh, well, he's met him a bunch, but he gets to work for him, and uh, he's, Bart's basically like, hey, I'd love for you to remember me, and Krusty's like, well, what have you ever done for me before? And he names a dozen things he's done for him. He's saved him from jail. He's saved his life. Bart's done all of this stuff over the course of the seasons. And then Krusty says, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? And Bart says, I gave you the donut you're holding right now. And he goes, and I'll never forget it, and pats his head. And for me, my entire life, when I think about remembering God's blessings, we are like Krusty, right? We're like, but God, what have you done for me lately? And God's like, well, you're breathing and you woke up and the sun rose and you have money in your account and food in your stomach and you're like, and I'll never forget it. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) That's how fickle we are. So these psalms were sung by the Jewish people and uh, loud shouts, clapping and jumping. Could you imagine that? Jumping, just like that, for the Lord, right? Not for your sports team, but for God. Like they shouted and they clapped and they cheered and they sang these songs which were specific to remind them of the blessings of the Lord. Okay, Psalm 105, verse 43. Who do we have next, Joe? This comes towards the end of the passage and it's a a count to remember the wonderful works that God has done and how he is always faithful.
My name is Carlos, uh, Psalm 10543. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts, shouts of joy. With shouts of joy. What I want to focus on here is shouts of joy. Would you say that Americans are generally a reserved people when compared to other cultures of the world? Oh, I heard mixed, mixed response there. Who thinks we're reserved? Raise your hands. Okay. Who thinks we're not reserved? Oh, wow, about 50-50. Truth of the matter is, we are not reserved. Now, we're not the most unreserved. Italians and Spanish, they get the most, you know, they're most out there, most, they don't care. Japanese, the Chinese culture, that's going to be very reserved. If you take an American and put him in church, for all of you who raised your hand and said you're reserved, you would have been 100% correct. If you take an American and you put him in a sports stadium, they just take their shirt. Oh, you didn't know I had a shirt on underneath. You'll rip your shirts off. You'll paint your stomach in your face. You'll literally go crazy in front of a camera to support your church team. I mean, your church team. I wish it was your church team. Like nobody's ever been here with all their shirts off with a J-E-S-U-S on them. I've tried, no one will do it. So the fact of the matter is we will be unreserved, we will be undignified, remember that song? I will become even more undignified than this is what King David says. If it's something that we truly love and care about. So why are the same ones of us who will be that way at a game or at our house yelling at the TV be reserved in church? Have you ever thought about that? Why? Clearly, we don't care what people think about us, so it's not that, right? How is it we've gone from a culture of people that sing and dance and jump and clap and shout the name of the Lord as we remember his blessings to a group of people who sit quietly with their hands in our laps and don't want to make any waves? It's a word that starts with R and ends with religion. Religion. I'm serious. Religion has caused us to put us in this place that says, well, it's not respectful to the Lord. Not respectful. All I see throughout the Old and New Testament is people losing their minds in gratitude and thankfulness. I remember the one time in my life when uh, I fell by my face before the Lord. I thought we were going to get sued for a lot of money for having to back out of a housing deal in our early marriage. And we called and we were able to settle on a very small payment. Everything was good. This is when the housing market crashed back in 2008, 2007. I remember we were youth leaders, my wife and I at the time, and it was Wednesday, and Wednesday night we went to youth group, and I can tell you that when we got to the time of worship, I had just gotten off the phone call about an hour earlier. We were so excited. I wasn't going to get sued for everything I have. I sang worship different that night. Like, I was so excited. Tears were streaming down my face. Like, God's provision was so unbelievably evident to me, and being dignified was not on my mind. All I cared about was worshiping him with every part of my being. Don't let religion stop you from the joy that God wants for you. Psalm 126. Psalm 126, Joe, who do we have next? Just the bold part there. It's a short one. Psalm 126. Have you forgotten who you gave them to? Okay. Well, they should have it. Do you forgot that you do? 
Oh, do we not have anybody with one? You know what? You want to read it? Adrian's going to read it. So, no, no, you got to have the microphone. We're filming this one. We have to be really good with all this stuff. I don't right? need a microphone. Hi, I'm Adrian DeSalvo, and those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. What this psalm is reminding us is that your joy is not dependent on any circumstance. Amen? Amen. Happiness is dependent on circumstances. It is. In fact, this isn't a religious thing. This isn't a Jesus thing. This is psychiatry. This is psychology. This is science. That our, our best of our best have done numerous studies and found happiness. A person is happy based off a circumstance. Love, money, house, position, authority, health, all of these things can help determine whether you're happy or not. Joy, however, what they found is not conditioned on circumstance. Rather, joy they found conditioned in relationships. That when people expressed joy, it was usually through relationship. Now, that can be a relationship between a parent and a child or a, a husband and wife or a friends. But here's the thing. All of those relationships and all of those people are flawed beings, and so they're going to mess with you, and you can lose joy in that relationship. Here's what's beautiful with the Lord, and this is Karkin's back to what I said at the very beginning of the service, is he is unchanging, he is perfect, his joy will never change towards you. Perfect joy, perfect relationship. Do you get this? So when you put your focus, when, you, when your idea in your life is to serve God with all your heart, you will have perfect joy. Because no circumstance can change that because you're in relationship with God. Now remember I said earlier, when David was praying, he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. We can lose the joy of our salvation because we step away from the relationship. We lay it down and we, even if we don't ever do it like intentionally, right? I've never had anybody walk into my office and be like, hey, I'm gonna take the next two months off of relationship with the Lord and pursue money. And I'm like, oh, okay, so I can expect to see you back in two months? It happens slowly, over time, right? And before you know it, you can't remember the last time you were hungry for the things of the word. You can't remember the last time you gave of your time or your money to the church or, or people doing things on behalf of the kingdom of God. You can't remember, but you can remember the fact that you're spending 60 to 70 hours a week at your job or in a hobby or pursuing something other than God. And when you turn your eyes away from that, the joy is no longer there. Not because he took his joy from you, because you walked away from it. Isn't that funny? And then you'll have Christians in the world be angry at God and curse God in social media because he wasn't there for them because they can't fill him. You're like, he never went anywhere. <laughs> he never went anywhere. He's been there. He's actually been knocking at the door, continually trying to get back into your life. That's Psalm 126. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. When you have the joy of the Lord, your circumstances do not determine the amount of joy you have. And so even in the midst of great tragedy, while you may mourn and weep with tears, you can have joy. And lastly, Psalm 132, 15 through 16. I'll read this one. These are the words of God's promise for his people. They would often sing this as they ascended the hill to the temple in Zion. And this is a passage of promise and how God has historically always provided. 
I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her faithful people will ever sing for joy. When we get to the understanding joy, and you get to have joy be a part of your life, you know what it actually is to other people? It's two things. One, it's intimidating. And two, it's comforting. Let me explain. If you're out, who, who's been out shopping in the last week? Raise your hand. Get some exercise if you've been out shopping. Right? How many of you, in the midst of all the craziness out shopping or on the street, just driving, see just joy on people's faces? <laughs> I mean, I'm talking, they're overflowing with joy. Like they just won the lottery or their, their grandchild was just born or something like that. Like how many of you just see joy flowing out of people? After all, they're out there buying gifts to give. Doesn't giving gifts bring joy? Where's the joy, right? Where is all the joy? That should have been the sermon of this title, the title of this sermon. Where's the joy? Where has it all gone? Well, Paul was wondering that same thing. You know, Paul, most of our New Testament is Paul's letters to the churches. And there was one church that Paul was incredibly proud of. And he tells them, thinking of you and praying for you brings me so much joy. It was not Galatia. In case you're wondering, the church in Galatians. Instead, for them, he said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Yes, Galatians and Ephesus and Corinth are not ones that often brought Paul great joy. In fact, they brought him much trouble. However, the Philippians, on the other hand, brought Paul much joy. If you'd like, turn to Philippians 1, chapters 3. I mean, verses 3 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I'm going to read this here, and we're going to see the joy that has been put on Paul's heart for this group of people, and then for us this morning, some practical things we can do to live this next week before Christmas filled with joy. He says, starting in verse three, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus." And so this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Listen to this prayer. This prayer is so beautiful. If you're ever wondering, what should I pray for somebody, just turn here. Turn to verse 9, verse 10 that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight. How many couples in here have been married more than 30 years? 40 years? 50 years? Yeah, 60 years? Almost, you're one away. Woo, congratulations, almost got, yeah. You know it's true, don't you? 
The more you know each other, the good and the bad, the greater the depth and the insight. You may feel more in love when you're dating. The feelings of love are strong when you're dating, right? And when you're first married, the feelings are strong. But true love, and this is why Paul, this is the prayer. I want you to see this. This is what's so great about this. Paul's not just saying, I just don't want you to feel in love with Jesus. I want you to grow in knowledge, depth, and insight of who he is. Because when you do that, you will fall more in love with him. Isn't that cool? He's saying, move past the milk, friends. Keep pursuing after him. Work through trials with God. Work through misunderstandings with God. You're mad at God? Tell him you're mad at him. Cry and kick and scream and throw your tantrum. And then get on your knees and say, show me what I'm supposed to do, God. He he can take it. He can take it. I want you to discern what's best and pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. You know, that church in Galatia where Paul says, you foolish people, he also gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Paul's saying, I want the fruit of God's Spirit to produce in you spirits of righteousness that come through Christ Jesus, and that that Spirit would bring glory and praise to the name of Jesus. Now, Paul wrote this while he was in chains, right? While he's been captured and is waiting his trial and ultimately his execution. Paul's writing this to Philippi, which is a very wealthy area. It's a trading town. It's, called, it's on what's called the Agatian Way. In fact, one of the first converts in Philippi is a woman named Lydia, who was a trader in purple. Does anyone trade in purple here today? No? Trader in purple would have been purple silks, purple cloth, linens, things like that. It was reserved for royalty. It was very, very expensive. And so she was very wealthy, would have also had wealthy business uh, partners. And um, as such... Philippi is, I kind of look at it like being some of the wealthier areas of America where now Christ has come in and it's kind of amazing that this church is doing so well, right? Because we know that when the gospel comes to places where great wealth, great uh, material wealth exists, that it's often not always adopted, is it? You've already got everything taken care of for you. Lydia didn't need food on her table or a roof over her head. She didn't need the things that 99% of the other people in the world needed at the time. And yet what she saw was the truth of who Christ was. The second convert is a jailer who nearly killed himself, right? Paul gets thrown into jail, Paul and Silas, for casting a demon out of a fortune-telling girl. And the people who owned the girl were mad that she no longer can bring them money, so they were thrown in jail. Earthquake happens, the door is open, the jailer's about to kill himself because he's like, I'm going to be tortured and killed anyway for letting all these prisoners escape. And Paul says, don't, don't do it. And he comes and converts and gives his life to Jesus. You see... Well, Lydia is living what we would all consider to be the dream life, right? Wealthy, great job, position, friends, living in a uh, modern city. Paul is in chains. Paul is being beaten, bitten by snakes, shipwrecked, tossed around, cursed out, hated. And yet both of them, both of them have the joy of the Lord and are expressing it to those around them. Both of them. I thank God every time I remember you. I love those words. So we look at Galatians 5, 22 through 23, where God gives those people and all of us 
the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. How can you tell that you are growing in joy? You know you can grow in joy? You don't just all of a sudden become a Christian and then bam, you've got level 10 joy. Level 10 joy comes with time, comes with in-depth, insight, depth, and knowledge of who God is, doesn't it? You grow in your joy of the Lord. That's one of the great things. Your joy can grow, which is why when you see another believer who is out there shopping, and there's just, there is like a glow about them, right? They're kind, they move out of the way, they hold doors, they say sorry when they didn't need to say sorry, you did. Right? And there's just something, there's a peaceable nature about somebody who has the joy of the Lord. They're firm in their identity. They understand that if they're a little bit late, that's okay. If they don't get the last item on the shelf, that's okay. And so because that shopping is not their identity, their joy is able to be expressed and poured out wherever they go. This is something I thought about this week as I was doing my reps and being out and about shopping is I just had this question is when people are seeing me, do they see the joy of the Lord? Like without even talking to me, is my face showing the joy of the Lord? Do do I, does my countenance, how I'm carrying myself, do I look like somebody that somebody can see and say, wow, there's something different. And so as I begin to think about that, I begin to try to not, I didn't like put a fake smile on or anything or walk like this. I just, I begin to be intentional, right? Where I walked, how I walked, that I didn't want just walk past people and just be like. You smile and you look them in the eye and they, they look away from you, right? You're going to get lots of rejection when you begin to pour out joy because that's the other part of it. One part is comforting. The other part is you make other people feel uncomfortable. It's intimidating. It's intimidating in church when somebody who's full of the joy of the Lord starts dancing and shouting. Like my brother Joe. I love it. It's intimidating because you're like, what is he doing? Doesn't he know we save that for our sports teams? We don't do that in church for God. That's a hard truth, right? Nobody said amen to that one, but that's true. That's true. It's intimidating. And so what happens is when you begin to express that joy, especially to random people when you're out in the street shopping and whatever, wherever you're at, it's, they turn, they, some people just recoil. They don't want anything to do with it. I don't know how to deal with somebody so happy. I'm not that happy. I haven't been that happy for years. Hmm. There's an insecurity that comes with happiness. You know, happiness actually makes you insecure. When you're poor, you're insecure about whether you'll be able to pay the bills or eat. When you're rich, you're insecure about people who are trying to take your money and if the stocks will go up and down and you'll lose all your fortune. Am I right? When you're single, you're insecure because you're lonely and nobody loves you and you wish you had friends and family and blah, 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 blah. And then when you have all of that, you're insecure and you're like, I don't know, can I trust them? Is everything good? This person's causing me more pain than happiness. And you know how relationships go. Happiness is based, the very foundation of it is based on insecurity. 
you can always lose it. You only were able to gain it because you fought for it and maybe you beat somebody else out to get it. And so happiness is insecure. The joy that comes with the Lord doesn't change. It inspires confidence into the one who seeks after it. And as such, joy is secure. This is why this morning, my friends, I am commending you to seek the joy of the Lord. And I'll close with this. The things of the world that provide happiness, the only thing it can promise, right, are things like sex, power, money, success, health, circumstances. Those are like, one pastor said, spiritual sugar. Now, when I was in my late 20s, I I was seeing this fitness coach, right? And you had to wake up at 4 a.m. And this guy was ridiculously fit. When he flexed, you could see every sinew of muscle and vein. And I think you could even see his bones. Like, it was nuts. He had zero fat on him. And he bragged about the fact that he has never eaten sugar. He doesn't even eat sugar in natural forms like strawberries, and he won't eat foods that break down, that your body breaks down into sugar. I I did not follow after that mindset, in case you're wondering, 12 years later. But this is why he said it, and, and why he does it is actually true. It's a good reason. He said, sugar is to your muscles like acid is to metal. It literally eats at a molecular level and breaks down muscle in your body which is why he had so much muscle and I have so much sugar. <laughs> but that's what, that's what happiness is. Happiness and the things that the world is offering is like spiritual candy, right? Sugar in moderation, to be honest, isn't going to kill you. It's not going to eat away all your muscles. He, he took it a little far, but you'll be fine. The problem is when you begin to serve the sugar, when it becomes everything you think about, when it becomes your master. This is why it says in the scripture, you cannot serve two masters. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with wanting a bigger house, a nicer house and working for it. There's nothing wrong with upgrading your cars or your toys or your clothes or the things in life that you enjoy or going out to eat and getting a nice dinner. There is nothing wrong. I believe the Lord rejoices in those things when we're able to enjoy them. The hard part is, is are you serving God and using the mammon? You know, that verse is not, you, can, you can't serve two masters, you either serve God or serve money. It's serve mammon. Mammon means life or the things of life, breath. And so money is a tool that we use in this world, is it not? And we use it for what? Life. We buy food with it, water with it, shelter with it. That's what we exchange our money for primarily, and then after that, it's all this ancillary stuff that we have. Here's when the problem comes in for the Christian, and here's why it is so tough for a Christian to have a lot of money or position or power or fame is because what we end up doing is we serve the mammon and use God. When God intended us to serve him and use the money, use the money. Use it for your own needs. Use it to help and bless others. But serve him. But we flipped the script because we started ingesting so much of that spiritual sugar, that seeking happiness, that we're serving the money. Our time is too full to help the church. Our, our finances are too tight. Our life 
is in service to the things of this world. And I use God when I need him. Like when a big decision's coming up in my life, when something horrible has happened in my life, when I'm feeling depressed or anxious and I'm sitting at my office and I don't know what to do and so I, I use God to see if that will help me. I don't serve him, I use him. Are you hearing me? I didn't, I didn't even write this down. This isn't even in here. Like this just came to me while I was in first service. It was awesome. But that's where we flip the script. You can't, not both of them can be your master. And they won't both be your master. You are serving one and you're using the other. The question that you have to ask yourself before you leave is, if I'm being honest, which one am I serving? Am I serving God and using the wealth of this world? Or am I serving money and using God for when I need him? James 1, 2 through 4. The band can come up. We'll close here. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that's my final point this morning. Joy is compatible with pain. Paul says, consider it, I mean, James says, consider it pure joy to endure these trials and these sufferings. Why? Because when I endure the trials and the sufferings of the world, I get to know a little bit more. I get a little closer to the knowledge, depth, and insight of who my Savior is, who endured the trials and sufferings of the world. I'm sure you have seen it by now. If you haven't, Sheriff Lamb, who's the sheriff of our Pinal County, lost his son and grandchild in a car accident yesterday and is going through much pain. He, they put out a statement which was very filled with grace and gratitude to all who wish their best and prayers. Um, I've gotten to meet with Sheriff Lamb quite a bit and got to know him a little bit. And I know he knows the Lord. I don't know where his relationship with the Lord is. And so our, my, I want to pray here as we close that in the midst of joy, you see, joy doesn't mean a smile all the time. You can weep, you can mourn, but your joy can still be there. Does anybody know that? Do you know that in here? Have you experienced the joy of the Lord in the midst of mourning and weeping? When you serve God, he is unchanging despite anything that goes on around you. When he is your all in all, not even death can take your joy. Mourning is not a loss of joy. Weeping is not a loss of joy. That is expressing emotion that God has given us for, for sorrow and for knowing we will miss something that we love very much. Death is meant to be a callback for us, to call us back to the one true God, to call us back to the spiritual nature that we are. That's the meaning of death. And so as we close, I want to lift up that family and ask that God would bring peace and a call back to him and his family and that they would find comfort and even the joy of the Lord in this season. Father, Lord, we mourn with our, our sheriff, someone who's in the public eye, someone who has uh, laid their life down for the safety of those in our county. And we just pray for him and his wife, Lord as they mourn the loss of a son and a grandchild and an injured future daughter-in-law. Lord God, would you be with her in the hospital? We pray you would bring a miraculous healing, God. 
And would you be with the parents and family of the lambs that they would know you through this tragedy? Father, for those listening online and those in this room, I pray that that question would ring out in their ears this week. Am I serving God and using money or am I serving money and using God? God, if it's, if it's serving money, I pray you would break those chains right now. If it's serving life, if it's serving the things of life over you, if, if that's you and God is saying that to you, that just you begin to pray. You begin to talk to him. You begin to say, oh God, help me. I see it. I know that I serve my life and the things of life over you. I know that I use you when I need you. Cry out to him. Maybe like David, you need to ask the Lord today to restore unto you the joy of your salvation. Some of you in here today need to break free from a religious spirit because part of you just wants to dance and shout and clap for the Lord and say, thank you, God, for everything you have given me. Father, may your Holy Spirit fall in this place. We thank you for your spirit, God, the fruit of your spirit that produces in us the life of righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion together. It is as a believer in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it is a reminder that we are gathered together as his body. Right? We are his body. He is the head. And we remember that his body was a physical thing, not metaphorical, that he was a real person born to the Virgin Mary, lived on this earth, died on the cross, and rose again. So as Jesus broke bread with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, he took it and he told them, this is my body given to you. As Jesus freely gave his body away, not under compulsion or force, so freely we are able to eat here today as we remember it. Father, we thank you for the body of your son, Jesus, and all that it means in our access to come directly before you. And it's in his name we pray, amen. After that, the scriptures tell us he took the cup and he told his disciples, this is my blood. They would have understood and known what blood means, the sacrifice of a blood sacrifice. He said, my blood will mark a new covenant between an almighty God and mankind. And our sins are washed away, our names written in the Lamb's book of life by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you for not withholding even your son. Lord God, would your joy fill our hearts this holiday season. In Jesus' name, amen.